one of the things that, that we love here at the Ridge is, is God's Word, and we love to teach it. Um, and uh, this morning is, is one of those sections of, of the Bible that's a classic. It's, it's just a beautiful masterpiece. It, it's been portrayed in, in many different ways. Uh, Rembrandt, a uh, great uh, picture, portrait of, of this story. Uh, it's been written about. Um, after the sermon, you're going to hear uh, a song about it. I mean, it's just, this is a great classic story. And the reason it's such a classic is because it portrays for us God's heart toward you and I. And today in the story, we're going to see a few things. We see two sons, and we see a dad. And a lot of times when we bring up the word father or we bring up dad, uh, sometimes in a room, that could be in a positive thing. Maybe many of us had some great experiences with our dad and um, that's, that brings up good feelings. Sometimes also in a room like this, it, it may bring negative feelings, a, a negative attitude maybe toward our dad because of some things we went through or maybe the way he treated us. But this morning, I, I'd love for you to come into the story and, and to see this amazing, awesome father. And this father in the story is our God. And this is how God feels about us. This is his heart toward us this morning. And so as we begin, also, I want us to look at this story and put ourselves in it. Because I think that's the invitation here. I think that's one of the goals of parables is to stir our mind, to stir our affections. And for us to ask ourselves, where do I fit in this story? And in this story, there's many places. There's many things that we can learn. There's many places where we could put ourselves. And so this morning, I want us to begin with this one son, and he is the rebellious son. He's the younger uh, of the sons, and he is rebellious. Look at verse 11 through 12. It tells us a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father this, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And so we see the story Two sons. One is going to be this rebellious son who asks this father a request. We'll get to it in a second. The second is going to be what we're going to call this morning a religious son. He's the older one, and you'll see in a bit why we entitle him as such. The story here represents us all. We all fit into this in some way at some point. We've been there. And the question is, which one are we? Now, the younger son here, right off the bat, asks the dad something. And this is big. I mean, this would be one of those, like, if you were in a movie or something, or, I mean, it would be dun, 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 dun. I mean, this is like a big request. But before we get to the craziness of what he asks, all right, I, I want us to think about the dad real quick before we move away too, too quick to what he says. This dad has been a great businessman, no doubt. He has invested, he, he has saved, he's been wise with his money. This dad also has, it seems, no doubt, had a, a loving heart, a caring heart for his two sons, for his, his family. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, that a good man or a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And so this dad has definitely been in position, he's in a position to do that. 
And so this is a loving dad. This is a loving father. But tragically, tragically, his two boys here, his two sons, don't seem to have the same love for him. And it's no doubtly seen in this first episode here of this story. Look what it says. The younger son said to his dad, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, it's interesting. In Luke, we, we see different references, and in the New Testament, we see this to the word inheritance. We see that. This word is not used here. Um, it's a different word. It's a word that is rarely used, and it's, it's, a, it's the estate. And so it's, it's very interesting here. The, the son was very uh, specific in what he was asking for, and the reason was, was because of how rare this request was and how devastating it was. Because when does one um, give their inheritance or their estate? Well, when they're gone, right? When they die. And so this request of this younger son is terrible. Because what does it mean? It basically means, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Your wealth means more to me now than you do. Now, how terrible is that? And that's exactly what the son is saying, this is an unthinkable request. I mean, think about this. What if the dad needs this? What if he has some health issues later on? This statement is big. What do we see from this son? First of all, we see that he's very impatient. He wants his dad gone so he can get some cash. Second, we see this son is very self-centered. Is he thinking of his dad? No, not at all. He's thinking only of himself. Third, this son is very unloving. He is broken with this statement, his father's heart, no doubt. No doubt. And we also see, fourth, that this son is distracted, right? What are his eyes on? His eyes are on wealth, right? His eyes are on, oh, it's, it's maybe a little better over there, so I want to get this so I can go live this way. His eyes are distracted. His life is distracted. He's ungrateful. His dad has even given him all of this. He's, he's got to share this estate, and now he's actually going to give it to him, and this pains his dad, no doubt. You see, this son already has a lot, but he asks for more. He asks to have this estate. Interesting about this estate, if you were a younger son, you would get a third of the estate. If you were the older son, you would get two-thirds because the older son would be responsible for the family if something happened to take care of the family. So this younger son would have got third, and he's ungrateful. The sixth thing is he lacks trust in his dad, doesn't he? He doesn't trust his dad. He wants to put his future in his own hands instead of trusting his dad with the future. Seventh, he has this attitude of entitlement. No doubt. Privilege over responsibility. I, I want this because I feel like I should just have it. I feel like I should just have it. I, I see that all over the place today. So prevalent. An attitude of entitlement. He also breaks his relationship with his father. This statement severs this relationship. And we'll see the effects of it in just a second. Not only that, he 
refuses partnership with his dad. What does he want? He wants control. You see, at this point, we, we, you have two boys who are in partnership with their dad. They're, they're working the fields. Um, that, that's how a family works. But this son wants to end that. He wants control. And lastly, he's very deliberate. He's very deliberate. You think about the last uh, week, we talked about two parables, right? The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the coin, right? The, the sheep doesn't realize that his wandering off is going to get him in trouble. Remember, the sheep is stupid, okay? Um, the coin didn't do anything to necessarily get, get lost. It's uh, an inanimate object. And so here you have this real-life human being, and he is very deliberate at what he's doing, very deliberate. And he breaks his father's heart, and he ruins a relationship with his family just with this statement. He wants his dad dead. He wants wealth. And then look at verse 13. Look what happens next. After the father has divided the wealth between them, not many days later in verse 13, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And so just a real th- quick thought here. In verse 13, it says he, he gathered everything together it seems as though this estate is a property, right? And it seems, though, that maybe this guy cashed it in, and he got everything together, and he went off to where? Into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living, it says. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. He began to be impoverished, and so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. Verse 16, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. And so he goes off to this distant country. He travels far away from his people, from his family. He turns his back on his dad. This son has a hard heart. Now, some interesting notes here that Jesus is portraying in this story is he travels to a place where people worked with pigs. You might be saying, well, why is that significant? Okay. The, the Jewish people had nothing to do with pigs. Okay. Gentiles did. All right. Other people of other nations, the Greeks, you name it, uh, other people who were not Jews, they would work with pigs. The Jews viewed that the pigs were unclean. So this is significant to the story. So he doesn't just leave his dad and his family. He leaves his people. Right? And he goes to this distant country. He goes far away. And people do this in life sometimes. We think that the grass is greener on the other side. And we do that in different areas of our life, whether it be in our marriage, you name it. And we're willing to go completely in a different direction, up and bail, up and leave. And that's what this son does. He had everything right there. And he turns his back on his dad, and he goes. And then it says in verse 14, he squandered his estate. He scattered his money. He he threw it about. He spends his money on toys, the frills and thrills of life. It says, we'll find out later, on prostitutes. He, He buys drinks for everyone at the bar, basically. What this means is this guy went and spent his money to gain status in the eyes of new friends. He bought friendships. He bought pleasure. You name it. He spent his money 
on everything. And he runs out in verse 14. He's now poor. He's now poor in a land that is going through a severe famine. He has nothing. He goes from having everything in his hands to now having nothing. And in verse 15, we see one who is desperate. Desperate. So much so, he went and hired himself out. What does that, that mean? It means this. Have you ever been to uh, maybe a, a, a big city? Maybe you've been to downtown Dallas and had this happen, or another city here in the United States, or I've had this happen in Mexico City before, but you'll, you'll be in your car, and, and maybe there's somebody who is looking for work or looking for some quick change or some money, and they'll come up and start cleaning your windows. Have you ever had that happen? And so that's kind of... What's happening here, he pressed himself into work. He pressed himself upon people to get money. And so that's where this guy is at. And he pressed himself so much on this one that now he's working in the fields. And he's helping with pigs. And his desperation grows so much. And so here is this one who's now working with these unclean animals. That's how he would have viewed them. And he's... Not only wanting, he's not only working with them, but he's wanting to be one of them. <laughs> Verse 16, right? Because he's wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. I mean, no one in their right mind would want to eat what pigs eat, right? Maybe we want to eat a pig, we have some bacon, but we don't want to eat what they eat, never. But this guy's there, right? Because, I mean, he's, he's jealous of these pigs. Their stomachs are full, his is empty because he has nothing, nothing. And not only that, but he's begging, and no one gives him anything. That's how far he's fallen. He goes from having a third of his dad's estate to now having nothing. Then look at verse 17, what happens. But when he came to his senses... It's a good phrase. When he came to himself, he looked around and he realized, what in the world am I doing? Have you ever been there? You ever been there? What am I doing? And he says this to himself. You ever have conversations with yourself? Yeah, they're real. If you don't, you probably should. I mean, that's not weird. (laughs) He says this, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him. And how many of y'all do this when you know you got to go have a big conversation, you're thinking through, I'm going to have to say this, and you, you start going through it in your head. And that's what he does. He says, when I get there, I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he reflects on home and he thinks through what he's going to say when he gets there. So he comes to his senses. But I want you to see in this story, this is not just enough, right? I mean, there are times in life we can realize what we're doing is wrong but nothing changes. There's no change in life. And, and so what he does next is big. Is, is he going to take that step to going back home? Or is he just going to 
realize what he's done is wrong and stupid and foolish and stay there. Now look at verse 20. He gets up. He got up and came to his father. He started home. This is huge right here, okay? He, he takes that step and he turns back home. This is big, okay? We call this repentance. It's when you realize you're wrong and you turn away from it and you start turning back home. You start turning back to God. But look what happens, and this is key in this, this story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he felt compassion for him. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Can we just stop there for a second? Do we realize the emotion of this? I mean, this, this boy's been gone. I don't, know, I don't know for how long. But he's in this distant country. He just took a third of his dad's estate. He, he blew it. I mean, the dad doesn't even really know all about this stuff, but maybe word's gotten back to him, and maybe word's traveled, and, and people have gotten words, and I, I'm sure his heart is burdened no matter what he's heard. His heart is overwhelmed, not with anger. He, we don't see a dad here that's stewing and brewing and like, dude, I hope that boy never thinks he's coming home because he's not going to step foot through this door. He's not thinking that way. No, he can't wait. He is uh, anxiously, hopefully waiting that he will see his boy out the window. And every day he's just checking. He's just checking. Is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? He doesn't give up. And he's hoping. And he's waiting. And so the emotion of this is big. It's big. Because look what happens it says, while he was still a long way off. You picture this? Is that him or is, or is that one of my servants? Is, is, that, is that somebody else? Who is it? But he knows because this time he sees, that's my boy. That's my son. And his response is like no other. He felt compassion for his son. He didn't feel judgment. He didn't say, wait till I get a hold of him. <laughs> no, he felt compassion for his son. And what did he do? He ran. Middle Eastern men back then didn't run, right? They, did, they didn't. They didn't. You, you have never, never. If they did, it's because they were going to go take somebody out, right? But Middle Eastern men back then, they, they did not run. This guy hikes up his tunic and starts to her son. I mean, that's the picture. He gets to his son, and what does he do? He ran to him, he embraces him, and he kisses him. I love this. This is a beautiful picture of a dad, guys, by the way. Dad's in the house. Man, be affectionate with your kids. As dads, we're to be tender and tough. Not just tough, and not just tender, all right, but both. Be affectionate with your kiddos. Let them know that you are a safe place. Let them know that you are a gracious place. And this dad just embraces his boy. While his son is dirty, right? While his son is unclean, he goes to him. And he embraces him. Look what he does next. Verse 21. 
the son says to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He confesses to his dad, I screwed up. I messed up, dad. I'm sorry. I disobeyed. I disrespected you. No longer worthy to be called your son. But look at verse 22. I love this. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead. Now think about that for a second. Why does he say he's dead? Well, he, he was dead to me because that's what the son said. Dad, you're dead to me. And he is dead, but he's alive. He's back home. He, he's alive. And again, he was lost and he's been found. And they begin to celebrate. So what does this dad do? He, he looks at his servants and says, listen, get this boy cleaned up. Get him a robe. Put a ring on his finger. What does that signify? That means this boy is in the family. He's in the family. That's what it signified. This is my son. He's not going to come back and be some hired slave and work off what he owes me and what he just spent. No, no. Welcome this boy back. Give him the ring. Let him have the rights to the bank account. This boy is back in the family. That's what it meant. And then they party. They celebrate. Because what was dead is now alive. What was Lost is now found. This is huge. We see this beautiful picture of a loving, compassionate father. Does this son deserve this? No. No. All of us would be like, what in the world, dude? This guy needs to be grounded for life. He's probably 20s. You know, he's a young 20s. I don't know if he can do that, right? He's, he's just a, he's a grown boy. He's very immature, but no, his, his dad doesn't give him what he deserves. His dad gives him something else. Love, grace, kindness, favor. And it's extravagant. It's over the top. But the father freely gives it. But look at the second son. That's where the story turns even more. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And so here's the older son out in the field. He's doing his work. He's doing his job. He's being a good son. But he hears music and he hears dancing. He's like, man, what in the world? I haven't heard stuff like that in a while. It's probably been a long while. And so he sends a servant to find out what is going on. And look what happens in verse 27. said to him, the servant did, your brother has come. You think he's excited about it? No. No. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. That idea of safe and sound there is that there's peace. There's peace. So it isn't just that this guy's alive and breathing. Know that there's, there's reconciliation. There's peace that's happening. It's interesting about this. The servant's words to the older son is full of 
meaning because he tells the older son that the father has received a sinner, right, his younger brother, and is in the process of sitting down and eating with him. Why is that such a big deal? Because that's exactly what the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees are the ones that Jesus is telling this story to, right? Remember who's around, verse 2 of chapter 15, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious crew, and they were grumbling. They were mad. They had a complaint. They were mad at Jesus because he would go sit and eat with sinners and tax collectors, people that were dirty and unclean and um, the prostitutes. And, and Jesus would go and sit and eat with them. He wouldn't do what they did. He had nothing to do with their lifestyle, but he would go and sit with them. Why? Because that's who he came for. And the Pharisees, the religious people, hated that. And so does this guy. He hates the fact that his dad is now sitting with his younger brother at the table. And look at verse 28. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Here's the dad, overfilled with joy because his younger son has returned. And here's this older son, he cannot stand it. But the dad keeps pleading with him, come in, celebrate. But he refuses. Just to step out of the story for a second, I think sometimes this is God's heart to the church. And he's pleading with the church, church, come on. Hey, come in and sit with these people. Come on in. Because what is this? This is the ministry of the gospel. It's a picture of that. It's a beautiful picture of that's what God came to do. He came to rescue people like this younger, rebellious son. And he says to the church, church, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like these religious people who have nothing to do with lost people. (laughs) But yet, remember, that's where you were with your rebellious heart. And remember, you have a ministry. You have a ministry of reconciliation, of of helping people come and have peace with God. That's your ministry, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. That's your ministry. And this older son wants to have nothing to do with it. And sometimes the church is the older son. And we want to have nothing to do with the ministry of going to the dead and to the lost. And my question is, why? Have we lost sight of the Father's heart? Does our heart not beat like this dad's heart does? A lot of times that's why. We've lost sight of our father's heart. And this son is very religious because look what he says next. He answers his dad. His dad is pleading, come on in. We want you here. And the son says this. Look, (laughs) probably not like a, a real nice, hey, look here. This is probably like, look, man, you know, this is probably like serious. For so many years, I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him." What's this guy want? He wants his dad to stick it to his brother. He doesn't want to see grace. He doesn't want to see love. He doesn't want to see peace. He doesn't want to see reconciliation. And this guy shows the depths of his heart. 
See, it's real obvious what we see from the younger son, right? We see his rebellious living, his loose living. We, we get it. We see it. But with this older son, we, we don't necessarily see it. But here it comes to the surface, and what do we see? He says, I, three times <laughs> in verse 29. He, he talks to the dad and he says, yours, yours. And so there's this separation. We've seen the separation between the younger son and the dad, but now we see the separation between the older son and the dad as well. You see, he sees himself as out of the family also. This I and yours. This is what religion does, by the way. Religion does this. It says, look what I do. That's what the son doing here. It's about morality. It's about good things. I do these good things. I do these good works. I don't do this. And religion also does this. Religion points out the wrong in everybody else. It's everybody else's problem. But I got to figure it out. That was the Pharisees. That was the religious crew. I am better. And that's what he's saying. Now this son is just as separated and alienated as the young son was. And so you have these two pictures of rebellion and religion. So the question, which one are we? Ron, it's this morning, we, we've all been both. We've all been both. We've all been the prodigal. We all maybe even act like this older son sometimes and are religious. What does this older son ultimately do? He doesn't accept grace. Because listen to what his dad says in verse 31. He said to him, son, you have always been with me. You've always experienced my extravagant grace. And then he says to him, and all that is mine is yours. It's been right there, but he's ignored it and never accepted it. And then lastly, look at what the father says again. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and he's begun to live and was lost and he has been found. What's Jesus' point? There's a lot. There's a lot. But I want you to see both in verse 32 and then also in verse 24, we see the heart of the father. And what's the mission of the Father? To go after those who are dead spiritually. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. We all, the Bible says, Romans 3, Paul tells us that we have hearts that aren't good, hearts that are evil. Our hearts are dead spiritually. We might be breathing, we might be alive, we might have blood flowing, but we are dead spiritually because of sin. The wages of sin is what? Death, Romans 6.23. We're all separated from God. There is this chasm. We are in that distant country. We are a long way off because of our rebellious hearts. And we're a long way off because of our religious hearts. But the Father's heart is to come after the dead and make them alive. The Father's heart is to come after the lost that they would be found. And so here's my question. How does that happen? Well, here's what I want to tell you. In this story, there's a third son. There's a third son. And he's the one telling the story. Who is that? It's Jesus. It's the son of God. 
Jesus is son of God. He has always been. The Bible tells us in Colossians, he's the creator of all things. All things are from him and through him and for him. That's who Jesus is. He has always been. He is God. And what's amazing about this story is we see something amazing in verse 20 that I don't want you to miss. Because look what it says. But while he, the rebellious younger son, while he was still a long way off, listen to those words, his father saw him. He felt compassion for him. And what did he do? He ran and embraced him and kissed him. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is how the Father has run to us. Jesus is how the Father has run and embraced us. Jesus is how the Father has run, embraced us, and kissed us. While we were a long way off in a distant country, thinking that we could do life without the Father, he is dead to me. And that's what we do when we're in our sin. That's what we do when we have religious hearts. We say, Father, I don't need you. I want to live this kind of lifestyle. Or, Father, I don't need you because I got it all figured out. They all don't. But I don't need you. And that's the picture of the story. While we were a long way off, the Father sent his Son. And he ran to us, and he embraced us, and he kissed us. How did he do that? By dying on the cross. That's the compassion of the Father here. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 6, while we were still helpless, this son, when he is walking back, he's helpless, man. He has nothing. He's been wanting to eat with the pigs. He's been begging. He can't get anything. He's dirty. He's helpless. And the Bible says, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love, his compassion toward us in that while we were yet sinners, this boy is coming home and he is a sinner, dirty, impure, unclean. Jesus, God sent him while we were yet sinners and Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Father made Jesus. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus, perfect without sin, lived a sinless life, became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, here's the deal. We're all like that boy, a long way off. And there's nothing good in us. There's nothing good we could do. There's nothing that we could do to earn righteousness. There's nothing good to make ourselves right with God. But God, he ran. He embraced and he kissed and he did it through the cross. And Jesus, the third son, is our only hope. He's it. He's the only way to get back home. He's the only way to be in the Father's family. The Bible tells us, that if we will believe in Jesus, 
as our Lord and Savior, the one who died for us, the one who took our place, the one who took our sin upon himself so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with God. If we believe in him, if we accept God's grace, recognizing just like this boy did, that we're sinners, that we've sinned against God, the Bible says when we trust in Christ, we will be Save. What that means is we will go from being dead to alive. We will go from being lost to being found. And so today, where are you? Have you accepted the Father's grace? Have you accepted his love? Are you like this younger son? Have you gotten to that point where you've turned and you've been embraced by the Father? Have you been embraced by the Father? Have you trusted and accepted his grace? I tell you this morning, if you haven't, man, don't wait. Don't wait. Because his extravagant grace is freely offered to you. All you have to do is just trust in his son. This morning, church, those who have trusted in Christ before, I want to just encourage you this morning. There's no, long, there's no greater chapter, I think, in the Bible that encourages us with the mission of God. That God is going after the lost. He's going after the spiritually dead. And that means something to us because he's given us a ministry. He's given us a mission to do that here on earth. We are his ambassadors. We are his agents. Don't be like this older son. Don't be like this older son. Instead, be like Jesus. Start running. Start pointing people to your Father and let them know about your great God and what he's done for you. Go to the lost. Go to the sinner. Go to the outcasts. Go to the people at work. Go to the people at school, wherever it may be, and point them to your Father and to his grace. We pray for us this morning. As we pray, Jordan's going to come up. I want to invite you to just a time of communion. Communion is a sweet time. It's a time where we take each Sunday to remember what Jesus has done for us, that he's died for us, that he is this third son who God has sent to us from heaven, who laid down his life so that we could have life that we could have a relationship with God. This is how much God loves us. And so this morning, we remember that. Those who have trusted in him, we come, take the bread. And remember Jesus and his body of a sacrifice for us. And remember by taking the drink, his blood that shed for our sake so that we could be forgiven. And so we come to remember that this morning.